Well, because I forgot to press record, we don't have Zach's original session from the retreat, but he's kindly agreed to be interviewed by me on the subject of greed, uh, the, the capital vice, the deadly sin of greed. And before we get to that, Zach, we were going to show, or we did show a, you showed a video clip introducing this vice. Tell us where it's from. It's from one of my favorite movies when I was a kid. It's Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl. Wasn't that an incredibly scary movie to be it, watching when you were it, a kid? It was, yeah. Well, I was right at the cusp of young adult, just going into 13, 14. It was part of growing up and facing my fears. I'm right, no fear of pirates and ghosts. Okay, and um, it's this moment where Captain Barbarossa, I think I've got the name right, talks about talks about the curse of the Aztec gold and they've got this gold or they these pirates got hold of the gold but the impact that's had on their lives just recount it or summarize it for us yeah so they had been pursuing this treasure and they had to betray their captain in order to take the ship and have a a coup Oh, I forget. There's some special term that pirates use when they overthrow the captain. Uh, treachery, treason. A, a, a mutiny or something. A mutiny, that's what it is. And yeah. they had a mutiny and they and they go to get this treasure and they end up getting it, but they don't realize the kind of effect it would have on their life. And the clip is him explaining to the governor's daughter, Elizabeth Turner, about how their greed for this gold that they now have acquired has robbed their enjoyment of what they wanted to use it for. So the yeah. food doesn't taste as sweet. Yeah. Um, the touch of a woman, the kind of sensual pleasures they, yeah. they can't enjoy anymore. And their desire for this gold really robbed them of all the other enjoyments that yeah. they thought they were going to get out of it. Yeah, it, it, it's always like a mini theology on the corrupting power of money and greed, isn't it? I thought it was fascinating. It really is. It really is. And it illustrates this idea that we think we want money for all of these other goods, like sex or food or power. But if you treat money as an end, it becomes an end. And then the other goods aren't enjoyable at all. Yeah. And so it, it really perverts our own mind uh, yeah. and the way we deceive ourselves yeah. with regards to money. Yeah, it's a classic case of these deceitful desires that they they promise you these things, but they're deceiving you because they don't actually give you the very thing that you're chasing through them. Okay, give us a definition of greed or, or the vice of greed. What What is it? So greed is specifically with regards to material possessions. And we talked about a little bit, all of these vices are either a deficiency or an excess. The virtue would be to have just the right amount. It's to be balanced and proportional. But a vice is to have too much or too little of what you ought to have. So with regards to greed, it's specifically an excess, um, an inordinate amount of love for possessing material things like money. Um, and you may think, well, oh, the word greed doesn't show up very much in scripture, but the idea of coveting does. And it's, yeah. it's quite similar to the idea of coveting. The traditional word that's used, um, for example, by Aquinas or other authors is avarice yeah. and from this Latin word avero or avere, which is to crave 
yeah. this excessive passion or desire for material things yeah. um, and, and, and money. And when put in that kind of framework, scripture actually has quite a bit to say on money and yeah. the danger about an overlove of money. Yeah. Now, let me uh, share perhaps this one thought from this uh, um, philosopher that describes this vice greed, not just as a desire for temporal possessions, but it's um, an, an immoderate desire. He says, this is Peter Kreeft, by the way, he says, it's natural to desire external things as a means, but avarice makes them into ends, into gods. And when a creature is made into a god, it becomes a devil. Right. And so I think that really well describes the transformation of uh, the way we treat money and how it, anything that we treat excessively becomes an idol, which we're warned about. Um, for example, yeah. the Ten Commandments. Yeah, and I think also you know, Paul, isn't it, who's, who describes covetousness in you know, his list of sins, covetousness, which is idolatry, that you're looking to, you're you're wanting, overly wanting, overly desiring this inordinate desire for things, material possessions. And that's idolatry because you're wanting it to give you actually what only God can give you. You're looking to it for these ultimate things. That's right. That's right. And you, I mean, you see it in Paul, you see it in the 10 commandments where the 10th the one, the last one is don't um, covet your neighbor's possessions. But then of course, even in the first commandment, which is don't have any other gods yeah. before me. Um, you also see it, interestingly, in Ecclesiastes, a book of wisdom um, about life under the sun. I think there's something even uh, the natural man should know about the foolishness of loving money. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This, too, is meaningless. Yeah. So it's, all, it's really all throughout scripture, the danger yeah. of, of loving money. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, yeah, you don't love money unless you're not loving God. So that you know, you only break the tenth commandment if you've already broken the the first. So just talk us through what. How does it show itself? What what are what's going to be the kind of impacts in people's lives if this inordinate desire for material stuff gets a grip on their hearts? Right. It's important to recognize that it's going to show itself in a variety of ways. We often think, well, I'm not rich enough to be greedy, or I, I don't even have a desire to be rich. Um, but we don't think through how much losing something affects our attitude, or how much uh, the threat of loss of the things that we have affects our um, peace. And that could be a greedy mentality as well. 1 Timothy 6, verse 10 says that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. And it's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith. In fact, that passage even connects the love of money to false teaching and to false teachers. And so I think we need to be thinking beyond just, um, I'm not rich enough to be greedy or I don't aspire to be rich, but we need to be thinking about what kind of false promises are made perhaps by the yeah. preachers we hear on TV or yeah. Um, or and the then, advertising course, hoardings on the roadside or. Right. And then there's just our entire culture is one of consumerism and ad slogans like have it your way. Yeah. 
Um, the, the, the entire mentality of every marketing campaign and advertising is that you have the power as the consumer to get what you want because you deserve it because of money and um, the whole capitalist context is kind of built on saying self-interest and greed are the same thing. They're both good. They're both what expand business and expand industry. And, um, you know, I mentioned actually in the talk that one of my favorite TV shows is Shark Tank, which is all about entrepreneurs pitching their business idea and trying to get money from investors, which is harmless and innocent in one sense. But as a form of entertainment, when you take that in uh, continually, it starts to make you wonder, oh, well, if I was a millionaire, I would X, Y, Z. And it's easy to forget. It's easy to shift. Yeah, so it has this corrupting effect on us. And I mean, I think, um, I can't remember whether you said it, I certainly read it elsewhere, but uh, you could make an argument, couldn't you, that whereas uh, Gregory the Great, who we talked about in the first session, saw um, pride as the the root, uh, the trunk and the root of the tree. Actually, you could make an argument biblically for greed and covetousness and this wanting of other things to be this source of, everything else that's um that's wrong right no greed greed is certainly uh, a means to so many other vices and opportunities for sin um gregory the great actually says specifically that from greed springs treachery uh, fraud deceit perjury restlessness violence and hardness of heart against compassion yeah. So he he lists a number of ways uh, that that greed gives birth to further sins. I think the mm-hmm. hardness of heart against compassion sticks out the most. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, that's challenging, isn't it? Because it's not just what you do; it's what you don't do. So it is this. It's not just sins of commission, the things you do with your money. It's the things that you don't do, or the things that you do do to get more money. It's the things you don't do because you want to hold on to it. So you harden your heart against need. And so again, you fail to love God, but you also fail to love your neighbor um, if this has got a hold on you. Exactly. And this whole this whole idea of thinking that we have to be cautious and or actually just downright critical of an excessive love of money is very countercultural. The the idea that money will bring you more happiness because money gives you access to more pleasures is pervasive. Um, But I think. One of the things you'd expect to find if money brings you more happiness is that something like the wealthiest countries, for example, Switzerland, would have uh, lower rates of depression or, or suicide. And studying that's not the case. So, you know, Switzerland's suicide rate is actually only slightly lower than the average yeah. uh, in Europe um, yeah. and even globally. So there, there are so many depressed and hurting and even suicidal people here in Switzerland, which is a country of abundance. Yeah. Um, it's, it's important you, to have that in mind. And you talked about on the uh, retreat this, um, I don't know if you talked about it in a curve, but I've certainly seen this curve, this graph, where um, if you plot hap- happiness um, alongside or uh, whatever, on one axis you have personal happiness and the other you have income, it's much more of a U-shaped curve or a bell-shaped curve. You know, you the, the, it um, having too little uh, does not help your happiness but having too much also doesn't help your happiness that there goes past a point where it just doesn't make you happy right absolutely in fact one of the studies i read um because surprisingly there's a number of 
people that come to Switzerland specifically for its uh, assisted suicide laws that, mm. that it allows for. And when people list the reasons why, and they did a study, 5 million people that do that um, had assisted suicide over the last 10 years here in Switzerland. And one of the reasons listed are the one of the classes of people more likely to pursue assisted suicide were those that lived in wealthier neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Those that not only had a higher income, but were always mm-hmm. comparing it in an area of high income. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll just, countless studies have shown that money really, once you have your basic needs provided for, it will not bring you more fulfillment and satisfaction, um, which just confirms what we find explicitly said in scripture. Indeed, yeah. And you think absolutely, and you can, in some ways, you, tragically, you can understand it, can't you? You chase after this thing thinking this is going to do it. You find out it's deceitful. So what's the point of life? Um, okay, what's the what's the answer to greed? Give us the way out. Well, uh, of course, the answer to all of these vices is uh, the virtues. And the virtues are found, of, and we stress continually that um, these are by grace and, and a matter of earning uh, or justifying ourselves before God. There's, there's the virtues, uh, that God graciously infuses into us um, and puts into our character. Um, But then we grow and develop those response and and a desire to imitate Christ and to really specifically imitate the character of Christ. So when we think about what's the character of Christ or what's the aspect of Christ's character we want to imitate Mm -hmm. to respond to greed, um, we have to remember that developing Christ-like character takes time and Mm -hmm. it's not going to be a one-time act. I I do this one thing and then now I'm free of greed. It needs to be developing a habit, Um, but the habit really needs to be oriented fundamentally towards generosity. That's the the most direct response to to greed is having a kind of mindset of wealth that sees it as one of stewardship and not possession and ownership. So you have to think about what's the most prudent way, what's the most wise way to manage my money, not just in a way that covers for what I'm, who I'm responsible for um, immediately amongst my family, for example, but then how much can I prudently give away? That's, that's the goal of money is uh, to provide for your needs and then to give away to support others. So that's, that's one example I'd say is a very direct response to greed, of course. Absolutely. Anything else? Yes. Well, one of the ways of uh, developing generosity, you'd say, okay, well, I I know I should want to give things away, but I don't want to give things away. So how do I develop the desire to give things away? (laughs) And I'd say, well, then you need to become given. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 4 says, what do you have that you did not receive? If you then received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? If we really think and reflect and take time to meditate on what the gospel is, Philippians 2 describes it beautifully. It's Jesus Christ, the eternal son of God, setting aside all the glories that he has, emptying himself by taking on a human nature, humbling himself to give us the gift of eternal life and to be exalted and raised up with him. So when our entire life is shaped by this amazement at the gift of salvation we've been given, how could we not feel 
uh, a sense of gratitude. And, and the more we're grateful for what we've been given, I think the more generous we're going to become. Yeah. And the, one of the things we've talked about uh, before is this, um, it's by your uh, actually doing stuff that the desires come afterwards. So you, you physically do stuff. So you physically just, you start giving, be generous, start breaking habits, start forming new ones, and the feelings, the love for those things uh, follows. Are there any practical ways we can do that? Right. No, I'll give you two. Specifically, we talked about tithing, yeah. which was um, uh, shown in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, this principle that if you're attending church and you're a, a faithful member, which yeah. we should be, then we have a responsibility to care for our church leaders, for the pastors and for the leadership that are their livelihood is dependent on this church. And so it's a way of um, supporting and being united with the body that you're fellowshipping with is, is to tithe, to financially give to the church. Um, but then even above and beyond that, not to be limited to that, to give whenever there's a charitable organization or, or some um, person um, in need that you know, we should just be abundantly generous people. Thing mm -hmm. is one. The other one that's, I think, helpful to remember is um, more of a negative. If you think tithing is like giving something, fasting would be choosing without, to, to give up a comfort, whether it's food or um, a luxury item you were going to buy or some kind of purchase. Fasting is saying, I don't think this thing is evil. I know it's good. Yeah. I'm setting it aside because I am looking forward to the greater good of Christ returning yeah. and my fellowship and eternal life with him. And the yeah. more we form the kinds of character that is able to set aside earthly goods for a greater good, the more I think we become resilient to idolizing those things. Yeah. That's great. Absolutely. Anything else on the subject of greed, Zach, whilst I've got you here? Um, like I said, uh, just note how character takes time yeah. the way you see yeah. everything. It, it's becoming concerned, really concerned about financial matters. Uh, we have to be very cautious of becoming like Judas, who saw the expensive ointment or oil uh, perfume that, that was used to clean Jesus' feet. And he said, oh, what a waste. We have to not repeat his sin of trading the son of God for 30 pieces of silver. Um, yeah. it's, it's something that warps your whole perception of, yeah. of reality. So we want to be very cautious against that, but find a peace in knowing that because God generously gave us eternal life, we can be generous with others as well. So yeah. that's, yeah, Judas is a, he's a very sobering character study, isn't he? That, you know, how the, how uh, the love of money and you see it beginning you know he's a keeper of the money purse he starts he starts taking some for himself he starts criticizing other people for wasting money on jesus and then in the end he sells him um sells the highest treasure for measly treasure it is a very sobering uh, character study absolutely absolutely so yeah no i just conclude by telling people uh trust God and, and trust his provision in your life. Uh, trust that he knows the hair on your head and every need yeah. that you have. And the more we meditate on his character, the more our love of earthly and 
our mentality or attitude of possession stewardship will fade away yeah and and like you say it's, it's probably you know character formation is lifelong isn't it it's you know we shouldn't be despondent because we feel its tentacles uh gripping around our hearts again this is a daily dying to um wanting to find our significance and worth and value in what we have but rather look to christ that's right absolutely zach thank you thank you for doing it twice of course I appreciate my pleasure it. okay <laughs> Cheers, right. zach.